Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, former law enforcement officer, and founder of the internationally regarded Executive Protection Team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Welcome, welcome, welcome to all of you who are here with us live, who can partake in all of the wonderful food you all who have listened to the podcast, you people who are listening on the internet, there is, let's see here, lots to drink. There's some bad stuff to eat. I can't say too much because I brought it. Then there's great sandwiches. There's pizza. There's fried chicken. There's some sort of casserole, like a jambalaya casserole. Then we got some cauliflower stuff that looks like it's really, really good. Some crackers and all that kind of stuff. Everybody's eating good here. So that's what you're missing out on if you don't come. So if you're in the tri-state area, Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, they're all really close. I know that's strange for people to hear, but most people don't know that we're actually that close. Everything's so close by. Listen, here's the thing. This is our first live. You guys know that are here. This is our first live. We normally record this. We normally record this and put it out on a podcast afterwards. And I think our Largest number, what I said, twelve to 17,000 or something like that, downloaded within the first 24 hours. So let's see if we can beat that. Um, although I didn't market it at all, so there would be like four people listening. <laughs> you can always download it later. If you go to blogtalkradio.com, blogtalkradio.com, and search The Ninja Pastor. That's me. That will be on there. So you can come here every week at the same time or don- download the podcast later. Of course, we'd always love to have you here because it's a lot more fun, and we like to share in the fun and the food. We have lots of fun and crazy people here. The crazy people are here. I don't know about the people online. There is a place uh, after the broadcast, and this is for the folks that are here. After the broadcast, we will have, we'll still have music. Uh, Steve plays a violin, and we sing hymns, and it's a lot of fun. We always enjoy doing it. And then uh, we'll have a lively, one of the things I love most, uh, those of you who have been listening to me on the radio know that this is the group that I'm always talking about that I love the most, my favorite audience of any size, anywhere. This is my favorite. And the reason why is because part of it is, is they're just such great people, but also another reason why is because of the question and answer. The Q&A session is so amazing. There's always great questions. This is the smartest bunch of people gathered in one place for any reason and any time. We should just take over the U.N., right, or the, or the United States government. Uh, soon, I put this on here to remind myself and then to remind you, soon we'll have the opportunity to have live chat and call-in. So I'll have somebody working the chat uh, so that you can, you, you can put your questions in and we'll actually answer your questions. 
uh, and we can do that during the gathering, but we don't have that technology mastered yet. We're just lucky that I could put the key in the truck and drive here. So anyway, what this means is you can get your questions answered right here. So uh, those of you who have been, welcome back, by the way. Those of you who have been to all of the different uh, 1 Corinthians, we're studying 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and then we're going to do uh, Thessalonians. So that's what's coming next after this. But if you have missed out on the first several, uh, you can go to blogtalkradio.com backslash the Ninja Pastor, and you can get all of the recordings that we've done that were here. We've imported them all for First Corinthians, so you can be all caught up and listen to those. Those are free. So tonight it is, what is your view of First Corinthians 13.8, and what evidence do we present? This is kind of going to be uh, more, more of a, I'm discussing with you what I think, which is pretty much what it is every week, but it's mostly what the Bible thinks. But this is something where I'm going to tell you what I think about where we are in society, why we're here, and how this passage is critically important. One thing I do want to remind, the, Mr. Barker announced at the intro that I did write a book called Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. And in that book, I talk about a lot of this. So feel free to go to drshawngreener.com, D-R-S-H-A-W-N-G-R-E-E-N-E-R.com. You can order it there. Just click on the button with the book. Uh, then you or you can just go straight to Amazon, whichever you like to do. So here we go. Love never ends, but prophecies will pass. Tongues will cease. Now wait a second. I guess I should say, who knows what the title is of this? Now it's cheating for the people who who First Corinthians, First Corinthian, Corinthians and their tongues twisters. Did any of you get that? Talks about tongues. Tongues twisters. Who got that? Anybody? Nobody. So everybody in the internet is laughing. I'm just pretending because you get it, but it's not that funny. Tongues, get it? Tongues twisters? Tongue twisters? It was a tongue twister. Thank you. Thank you. I can move forward now. I feel much better. <laughs> Love never ends, but prophecies will pass. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will pass. For our knowledge is partial and our prophecy partial and our prophecy. You get that? Did you catch that? What did I just say? And our prophecy partial. That'll be important later. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, argued like a child. Now that I've become a man, I have finished with childish ways. For now, we see obscurely in a mirror, but then it will be face to face. Now I know partly then I will know fully. Now I know partly. I don't know, I don't know the whole deal now, but I will. I'll know fully, just as God has fully known me. But for now, three things last, trust, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. What did the Apostle Paul say last week? We didn't say it last week. I said that he said it last week, but he didn't say it last week. We talked about it last week. What did, what did he say? He said, it's great, you know, this tongues business, it's awesome. He didn't say awesome. I don't think they said awesome back then. But he said, you know, great, but the most important thing is love. Now, what's that song? What the world 
needs now is love, sweet love. Yeah, right? So that's what we need. But is it the world's kind of love that we're talking about here? So when we read this passage, we, we get all tripped up. We, we're like, uh, well, love. Uh-huh. I like to love. <laughs> I'm affectionate. I like affection. I like it. I'm down with this. This just church stuff is fun. It's cool. We get to love, free love. And it's not that same. It's not the same thing. It's a different thing. Let me go back a minute. And I said it twice on purpose. So I'll say it tw- three times. For our knowledge is partial and our prophecy partial. When you only have partial knowledge of a story, have you ever, now this is just me, I'm the curious guy, so maybe this has never happened to you, but have you ever been waiting for an elevator and there's two people, or maybe three, and they're standing there talking and they're telling a story about something kind of maybe even salacious? Something might have happened. It's going on. And then you get on the elevator and you make sure you're just kind of standing close enough. Normally you don't stand close to people. But in this particular case, the story's pretty good. So you're going to stand pretty close. And you're listening, listening, listening. And it's right at the punchline. And all of a sudden, ding, and they walk off the floor, which is not your floor. And you really would follow them if it wasn't so obvious that it's clearly not your floor. It's some office somewhere. Yeah, has it ever happened? Is it only me? Oh, man. So, well, that just shoots that whole illustration. But let me just say this. You don't know the story until you know the whole story. You don't know the story until you know the whole story. The Bible even talks about that. It's a Hebrew. Uh, the, the practice in, in Hebrew uh, culture is, listen, we're not going to decide what the truth is until we've heard both sides of the story. You've heard it said before, there are three sides to every story. There's your side. There's my side, and then there's the truth, right? Because people get all jacked up over stuff they experience, and they tell it. Sometimes they mess it up. Uh, but this this is referring our prophecy uh, partial. Our knowledge is partial. Our prophecy is partial. So we don't know. Prophecy is what? Telling of something that hasn't yet happened, right? It hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. So we don't we don't really know for sure. How do you tell if a prophet is an actual prophet? If this stuff happens, right? Now, in the Northeast, uh, any of you, who went to a grocery store today in Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, or Virginia? Was it mobbed? It was crazy. People throwing bread around and diving for cartons of milk and, you know, throwing elbows all day. Now, let me ask you a quick question. Then this is what it tells me. This is what it tells me. Only when it's going to snow do people realize, I've got to have French toast. If I don't have French toast, I'm going to die. So they run out and they get the makings of French toast. I don't get it. I don't get it. I do like French toast, but not that much. Anyway, you know, I'm always talking about preparing. This has nothing. Well, it kind of has something to do with it. You know, you you would do well to prepare for things, prepare in advance. Always have some food stores that last you. Uh, maybe money is super tight. You say, look, I can't go out and buy three months or six months worth of food stores. Buy an extra can of something that you know when the feces hits the circular wind device, either in the weather department or the government department or the society department, that you can stand to eat that over a, a long period of time. Now, for me, that easy answer would be, no, ugh, spam, somebody just said. Mm-mm. Although, you know what? Fried spam isn't too bad. Spam will last forever, too. I'm just saying. 
there's an advantage to it. But I would normally say ice cream, but if it's if it's a bad situation, what don't you have? Refrigeration. Now, it's not too bad if it's wintertime, but, you know, I can't live on ice cream. You imagine me as hyped up as I am if I'm just eating ice cream by the gallon every day? Kind of do anyway. Not anymore. I'm, I'm, first of the year, I haven't had any ice cream, I don't think. I might have. I have a brain injury, so I, I just am not positive whether I did or didn't. So I don't want to say for sure I did because I don't really remember. Anyway, knowledge is partial and our prophecy partial. Then right after that, the apostle says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. Right after talking about our knowledge is partial, our prophecy is partial. Then all of a sudden he goes into talking about when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I argued like a child. Does anybody think that's a coincidence? That right after talking about partial knowledge and partial prophecy, he talks about being a child, acting like a child, talking like a child, arguing like a child. People do in the modern church. I was on, how many of you heard my interview on The Real Side with Joe Messina this, this past Friday? Friday night I was on the, the real side with Joe Messina, really great guy. Uh, he has a phenomenal show, a real pro. And he um, he was t- he was asking me why did I write the book? What is it that drove me to write the book? Uh, and and I wanted to answer insanity, but best answer I don't think not what he was looking for. And so he asked me why did you write this book, Excellence Kill the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America? And I had to say that. The purpose of writing the book was utter and complete frustration. I was totally and completely frustrated with, on the one hand, I hadn't really thought about my frustration with society and our governance. Tomorrow, on tomorrow's God and Country, the Collision of Faith and Politics show at 4 p.m. The first show is at 4 p.m. on TogiNet. The next show will be at 5.30 on Block Talk Radio, 5.30, 6.30. On the 4 o'clock show, I'm going to have the, one of the co-founders of the Center for Self-Governance. And that's going to be awesome because these people are phenomenal. They're fired up. They're amazing people traveling all around the country. I'm going to actually do some, uh, do some dates with them and speak and, and help them uh, with what they do. Phenomenal thing. So all that to say, uh, and then the second hour, by the way, Elizabeth Letchworth, the Honorable Elizabeth Letchworth, will be back. And these are barefoot in the snow days. We're going we're to give you some action steps. We're going to tell you what's really happening in Washington and then what you, can, what you can actually do, how it impacts you and what you can do. Anyway, it's going to be a lot of fun. All that said, uh, you know, when I, when I was studying the book, to, to write the book, I was, I was preparing everything to write the book, I was mostly thinking about church. There were reasons why I was thinking about church at that particular time. I had just been in a horrible crash. Uh, I was almost killed. A, a boy I knew was in the car that hit me head on, and he was killed. So I, you know, I was thinking about church things. I won't explain why on the air, but church things and how churches fail sometimes, the, the church. And then I started studying, because everybody asked me about the book, Excellence Killed the Church. The church isn't dead. Uh, I don't believe the church is dead. But you say, well, you just did a title that says Excellence Killed the Church. Excellence in the eyes of society, excellence in the secular world, the secular worldview, the culture that we live in, 
they look at what we do as silliness. So so what happens now? Churches spend, and I talked about this on the Joe Messina, The Real Side Show, churches spend tens of thousands of dollars having consultants come in and look over their church and look over how they do what they do and then get, say, this is how you get more people in the door, people who don't come to church, not people from other churches, but people that don't come to church or they're in between churches or whatever. And they spend huge money, and it's the color that you paint the walls. It's the type of seats. It's the lighting. Uh, the worship music is huge. Worship music is absolutely huge. Uh, You've got to have the right kind, and it's got to be the right volume. They've got to repeat, I think, uh, verse 900 times to be effective. That must have been in the study because that's what I hear a lot of times. I go to some churches that have a lot of that, and it's, they say, it's almost like vain repetitions. The Bible talks about vain repetitions. It drives me crazy. And, it's, and they're, they're kind of empty. They're kind of empty words. Not all praise songs are like that. But anyway, so I started studying that. And then I wanted to know, well, how does society react to this knowledge? How does society deal with us? And what I kept finding out, uh, the more research I did, is society doesn't deal with us. We deal with them. They don't move. Society, secular society, doesn't sidestep, uh, you know, to, to match us where we're going to, so that they can hear what we're talking about. Society, we bend to them. The church bends to them. We change the gospel. We soften the gospel. We soften what we do. We soften our words. And we say, we say it's all about love because God is about love. And he is about love. Don't get it twisted. He is about love. Absolutely. But if you set fire to a house and you don't know Yeshua when you set fire to the house, that's Jesus, his real name, Yeshua. Uh, but you don't know Yeshua when you set fire to the house. You're maybe uh, you, you've got some struggles in your life. You set fire to the house. And then while you're awaiting sentencing, you find Yeshua. You, you, you take him into your heart. You say, man, I want to live for for God, I want to I want to do things right, man. I've been I've been jacked up for far too long. I'm gonna change my life. What happens then is forgiveness, and God does love you. But guess what? There is a there's a con. What is the word? Say it again louder. A consequence for every action. There is a consequence. Just because we're redeemed doesn't mean that there's not consequences for our bad behavior. Uh, I had a guy reach out to. Well, he was reaching out on Facebook. I won't say his name because if he's listening to this broadcast, I doubt that he is. But if, if he would be listening to this broadcast, he would be incensed at this, but that's okay because that would probably help him improve. He, uh, he's been, this is like his fifth or sixth time kind of uh, coming back to God. He phenomenal, uh, organized a phenomenal church. We were part of the church plant. Did a great job. Great things happened. I think over 200 people in a year came to Christ and were baptized and were plugged in. Uh, things went off the rails for him, his own doing. Uh, everything kind of fell apart. Got divorced, got married again, got divorced, got married again, and now is divorced again. Uh, just it's all come off the rails. So he's back now. He's like, look, I know it's not about me serving God as a pastor because that's probably gone, but whatever God has for me, nobody else can stop. So all this stuff. Well, then he posts on Facebook. Hey, anybody know any good traffic? Uh, I just got stopped for 85. I was going 85 in a 55. And anybody know a good traffic attorney? 
And I said publicly, I said, why do you need a traffic attorney? He goes, uh, 85 and a 55? And I said, so by your own admission, you were going 85, which is against the law, wrong to do, just a few more miles per hour, and you've been going what the guy was going when he hit me. So now you're saying you're a man of God, you've come back to God, but can somebody get me out of this ticket? And I said, here's what you do. You stop pretending you didn't do something wrong because you just admitted it on Facebook that you did this wrong. You were guilty, going 85 in a 55, which you know is wrong. And you want to get out of that penalty. You want to get out of that consequence. Here's the problem. Here's the problem I have with that. You've been telling your Facebook friends and all the people that love you, you know, the United States, that you're changed and you realize it's about a relationship with God and you. And I'm not, I'm not throwing rocks at the 85 and a 55. I'm throwing rocks at, yeah, you shouldn't do it, but I'm throwing rocks at, why are you trying to get out of the ticket? You go to court, you ask the judge, you say, I'm guilty. Guilty as charged, Your Honor. Uh, is there any way I could get some grace and maybe you could write it for 62? Could I be found guilty of 62 and a 55? Because then that won't be the number of points and the insurance and all these things. He's lucky he even has a license because, trust me, this isn't his first ticket. I said, so that's what you do. And so then he sends me a private message and he says, what's up, man? You didn't ever do anything wrong? What are you, why are you acting like you never did anything wrong? Why are you acting like your stuff don't stink? He didn't say stuff. But. I said, I'm not. I'm, as, I'm guilty. I'm, you charge me guilty. You just about point at a wall with things I've done wrong or things somebody could do wrong, and you would say, yep, that's Sean Greener. But I'm not trying to get out of that. You tell everybody your life has changed because God loves you. He's about love. God loves them. God loves you out of the ticket. You want to get out of the consequence. And you want to involve your entire Facebook family in helping you. Ah, man. Your issue has never been biblical knowledge. Your issue has never been leadership. Your issue has never been likability. Your issue is character. Your issue is character and lack thereof. Now, am I saying that people don't do stuff wrong? You say, well, what does this have to do with Paul? And what does this have to do with this passage of Scripture here that you just read? Love never ends, but prophecies will pass, tongues will cease, knowledge will pass, for our knowledge is partial and our prophecy partial. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, argued like a child, drove like a child. You, now it's not in here. I, I'm just, that's not, I just, I put that in. But, what I'm saying is, is people a lot of times will change up Scripture to suit them. They'll say, well, love never ends. The Lord loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He didn't want me to get a ticket. He didn't want you to get a ticket. That's why he gave you that foot movement and the eyes to look at the speedometer to go, mm, I, I probably am going too fast. I better slow down. Right? He, he did love. He loved you. I think there's lots of times, you know, people said, man, God must really love you because he spared you in this crash. And I say, well, if that's the measuring stick, why did Andre go? He was 17 and his whole life ahead of him. When I was trapped in the car, I said to the paramedic, who she quickly corrected me, when the helicopter was coming, I said, who's the helicopter for? And she said, well, we'll see. 
And I said, well, if it's young people in the other class and they're worse off than me, take them. She goes, uh, you don't get to make those decisions. We do. A little bit of a control freak, even in a crash. I can't help myself. So, but, good water. I answer, I answer the, the, the whole, let me say this. Let me say this. This will make more sense. When somebody tells you they love you, what generally follows that you believe them? Let's, let's just say your kids. Let's pick your children, those who are parents in here. Oh, I love you, Daddy. I love you, Daddy. I love you so much. I love you so much, Daddy. You're the best Daddy in the whole world, right? But then, yeah, that's right. That's right. Somebody had some kids up in here talking about, um, yeah, Dad, you're the best Dad in the world. Could I borrow $20, the car, where the geese? Could I go? Could I stay out past? You know what I mean? There's always something after that. Or what if they're telling you how much they love you, but they're constantly disobeying you? Don't you at some point start to go, this, I don't, maybe you don't understand. You're always saying this thing, love, but I don't know that you understand how that works because you believe it more when what? you. But also, look at Andre. Andre's young. Why would Andre die? Well, God spared you. You were supposed to be dead, Sean. God spared you. He must really love you. He must have great things for you to do. I said in the ambulance, God's got great things for all of us to do. He's got huge plans for all of us. Why Andre died and I survived, I have no idea. I know for a fact Andre was a great kid. He was 17 years old, about to go to college, about to live his dream, play football on scholarship in college. God loves him less than me? Is that how it works? No, that's not how it works. It's not how it works at all. And we also know love never ends. Whose love are we talking about? In this, When Paul is talking about this, when the Apostle Paul is talking about love never ends, whose love is he talking about? God, Adonai Elohim. He's talking about God's love. God's love is the only perfect love. We can say we love perfectly, but we don't. We don't. We're afflicted. That's what I used to say when I was a kid. My buddy Chuck and I came up with that. Man, you're afflicted. I don't know if it's shortened for afflicted. I don't know. Yeah, you're afflicted. <laughs> so then that caught on at the school. We were finally popular for once because people would go around saying afflicted, but we never got credit for it. It's not like a little copyright symbol after the word. I have to give due credit to Sean Greener and Chuck for that word. They never did that. Love never ends. God's love never ends. Prophecies will pass. Who prophesies? Who prophesies? There's only been one perfect prophet, and who was that? Yeshua Hamashiach. Yeshua, Jesus. The only perfect one. So here's the problem I have. Here's, here's my struggle. Here's my really, really tough struggle. If God is the only one that loves perfectly and loves endlessly, how do we even understand what love is? Doesn't it seem to you, or it does to me, I shouldn't say doesn't it seem to you, it does to me, seems to me that the measurement of love, true love, is very, very difficult to prove. Now, I didn't get in a lot of trouble as a kid because I was slick, destined for a covert clandestine career. I'm just saying I had a lot of training as a child. I just didn't get caught. I'm not saying I didn't ever do anything wrong. I did. Thankfully, my mother does not have the Internet, and therefore, she's not listening to this. So, statute of limitations has run out. So, but my brothers, whew, man, all the way down to it, sitting in church, in the church pew, 
you know to be quiet in church. That's what you do. My mother, little tiny thing, little bitty. She's just a little tiny, tiny little bitty thing. She had uh, like a, uh, what's that? Not Doberman. What's the do- pit bull? She, she, she actually had alligator hands when it came to pinching, crocodile hands. You know, crocodile has the largest closing force, crushing force of the jaw. And she had that in her thumb index finger. And if she pinched you, you felt that you were being bitten by a crocodile or a pit bull or a Doberman pincher. You literally felt like she's t- she has taken a chunk of my DNA out of my thigh. But what was worse is if you yelled. If you yelled, then you got pinched worse. And if you yelled again, then you got taken outside. And trust me, you wanted my mom's pinch way worse than you wanted her spanking. Because she would take your belt. She bought us good solid belts. I think not to hold her pants up, but to spank us when the need arrived. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know, my one brother, I won't say his name, and he does have the Internet, but he he would yell out, Ow! Ow, Mom! She'd pinch him again. Ow! And then, of course, he gets taken out, and you know what happens next. You know, it is not pretty. But it happened more than once. I think that happens to you one time. you got to go, I'm not doing that again. But rest assured, you know, sometimes kids do that, right? They do stuff over again. They just don't learn from stuff. So what I'm what I'm saying is you're let's say you're in that situation and you you have kids and they keep telling you how much they love you, but they keep doing the wrong thing. They keep doing the wrong thing. They just keep doing it over and over and over. Being honest now, let's be honest. Let's be real grown-up folks here. When we were young, we spoke like a child, we we argued like a child, we acted like a child. But now we're grown. So now let's 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 be grown about it. Did you ever start to doubt your kids? Maybe you had one kid, maybe you had two children, and one of the two children was just always doing the wrong thing. And you start God bless you. You start to wonder. You start to wonder, "Man, does this kid love me because they're not listening?" Now, let's take it past childhood because it says, now that I've become a man or woman, I have finished with childish ways. Anybody that has ever been married, both here and in the radio audience, you know some folks aren't done with their childish ways. And where they crop back up is when they put the ring on the finger. And then suddenly this person who was all like, yeah, baby, I'm going to help you with everything. I'm going to. I'm going to love you forever, and I'll shovel the driveway, and I'll always put gas in your car. I'll get your door. you know. And then all of a sudden, you're standing there on a rainy night, cold, and you don't have an umbrella, and you're waiting on your man to come around and get your door, and your man is already in the house. And so you get your cell phone out and call up and say, um, where are you? It's raining. Yeah, you should learn to run faster. You won't get as wet. Well, what happened to this? What happened to all this? Yeah, I'll, you'll never get wet. I'll I'll stop all the raindrops and nothing bad will ever. You know, and all of a sudden they're childish. They're inside. They're it's cold. You know, people' feelings get hurt more. You know, when you find out when you get married, you live with the same person. Your feelings are going to get hurt. It says up at the top of the verse, talking about God, love never ends. But there's a whole lot of folks. If if the divorce rate in the Christian Professing Christian, people who self-identify as being Christians, 
divorce rate. Our divorce rate is actually higher than secular society who does not self-identify with being a Christian. You know, I don't know. Stuff happens. Stuff happens, and and I and I know that for a fact. And sometimes this isn't a discussion of divorce, but but the childishness and the love ending. I've always found this passage fascinating because the Apostle Paul, he's a smart dude. He he writes you into a corner, and this church in Corinth, he's written you into a corner. He goes, "Yep, love never ends." He probably had his hand like this, you know. Love never ends. But prophecies will pass. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will pass. Now let me go back to tongues will cease. Remember last week, and those of you in the radio audience, you can go back and listen for free. You don't, you don't, it doesn't cost you at all to do this. It's free of charge. Remember last week we talked about, and those of you who are here, we talked about the rules for tongues, and we're going to talk more in the coming week uh, about the rules for tongues, uh, speaking in tongues, non-church people are going, I don't know, I brush my tongue, I have a scraper, I don't know what are you talking about. No, it's it's speaking in other languages that you don't know, that you haven't been trained on, or utterances that don't make any sense unless somebody interprets it. And we talk about that a lot in the Bible. All that said, actually doesn't talk that much about it in the Bible, but in this particular passage. So he gave rules and everything. So he's saying tongues will cease. Now, there are denominationalists out there. Remember we talked about the different, the charismatics, the non-charismatics, the, all the different, the different groups that, there's certain groups, denominational groups that say, man, trust me when I tell you, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. And then there's some that, like, if you speak in tongues, the devil is in you. You know, that's the only way it can happen. There's two sides of it. And, and you know, wherever you land is fine with me. But, but, it says here, Paul says right here, tongues will cease. Knowledge will pass. What knowledge is he talking about? What knowledge? Anybody know? You can raise your hand. Even though we're on the radio, you can raise your hand. What knowledge is he talking about? Man's knowledge. Man's knowledge. Uh, when he's talking about love never ends, he's talking about God's love. Prophecies will pass. He's talking about man's prophecies. Tongues will cease. Who speaks in tongues? People do. Human beings do. Uh, You know, men and women and children, you know, they all talk in tongues. But God doesn't talk in tongues. Why? He doesn't need to. He has no need for that. He talks in whatever language God talks in, which is basically whatever language you are, because he speaks in ways that we all understand. But then knowledge will pass. Human knowledge will pass. There'll come a point where all of the all of the crazy stuff that we go through in our lives, all the stuff, and and in the back, good, to, glad to have you back. We've been pulling for you and praying for you. Uh, there's some stuff that just seems so insurmountable. My good buddy, I know, I know he's listening uh, downstate in Delaware. He's facing your same road, but for the second time, and. And he, he's, man, he's got a big battle ahead of him. But nobody thought he would make it. The doctors all said he was 90 days from death. They didn't give him 90 days. That was two or three years ago. And uh, he's happy. He's playing music. He's having his buddies over. He's kind of a ladies' man, if you know what I'm saying. 
Women are suckers for guitars. And I think violins. Just saying. <laughs> Saxon violins. There's too much of that on TV. <laughs> Quick, who knows what that's from? I'll get if I knew how to use the chat, I'm sure it's blowing up with people saying that's from a, Saturday, a skit from Saturday Night Live. I didn't watch that very much, but I did see that one. Gilda Radner and Bill Murray, Saxon violins. So, anyway, speaking of speaking like a child, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, argued like a child. What do children do? They argue. And 99.9% of the time, their arguments make zero sense. Why? Because you're the grown-up. You're the grown-up. This whole church thing that was going on here in Corinth, they were not the grown-ups. The Apostle Paul was the grown-up. And he's coming in saying, oh, cool your jets, slow down, slam dancer. We're going to straighten some stuff out here. Right? This is it. We're going to help you with this. But they, didn't, they made some crazy arguments. Well, we think we should be able to have prostitutes in the church. Duh. You know. I mean, come on. Look, we've already got people calling in. Can you believe that? I didn't even advertise this thing. It's crazy. Go figure. A listener, I I unfortunately don't know how to pick your call up, and so you're just going to be on hold. Listening to like an eight-second delay is going to drive you nuts. But coming up, we will. Anyway, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I argued like a child. Whenever we're arguing, I mentioned about husbands and wives. You know, you're all mature before you get married, and then all of a sudden you become like children. Arguments are always silly. When you do the autopsy on the argument, it's always silly. You look back on it, and then finally you end up laughing. You're going, well, what were we arguing about? Some, most of the time. Some of the arguments when it's important. But honestly, most of the arguments that families have, husbands and wives have, they're usually stupid. They're usually dumb. I know mine are. So stop arguing. This is what Paul's saying. I'm I'm just saying what I think it means. I only have 11 years of theological training, but you don't have to listen to that if you don't want to. I paid with with check, so I could have. It might. I don't know. It might not be worth anything. For our knowledge, checks. You ever think about that? Checks. By the way, writing a check. Oh, don't get me started on no check cereal. I'm trying to bust out the wheat. Man, I love check cereal. Mm. I can't have it. It's the wheat product. Hey, that's a good project for you Internet people and people here. Find me a cereal that's not made of wheat products. I would love that. Well, wait, wait. Rice checks, gluten-free. Oh, I, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to do that. It needs to be in a box. I need to dump it out into a thing, put milk on it, and eat it. I love that. Anyway, I'm heartbroken over I'm heartbroken over that I can't I, – I love cereal. I love cereal. And I love to have cereal for every – occasion mid-meal snacks right before going to bed which is the worst time you can eat but anybody else i mean love cereal i grew up loving cereal just to eat the bottom right out of boxes of cereal well now apparently that's just horrible for you and that's death in a box so thank you um what is it the gmo monsanto thank you monsanto uh so anyway (laughs) when i was a child i spoke like a child thought like a child argued like a child now i've become a man that is being what? Who said that? Somebody say that louder. Growth. It's assuming growth. We assume a lot when we assume growth, don't we? 
We assume an awful lot when we assume growth. Now, here, it's not assumed, it's expected. When I was a child, was a child, because he's not talking to children here, he's talking to grown folk. I spoke like a child. Spoke, not I speak, I spoke. Past tense, is over with. Thought like a child. Thought, not think. Argued like a child. I argued like a child. Now that I've become a man, who who decides that we're grown? Now we're talking about let's talk about faith stuff. We're told to have the faith of a child, aren't we? The faith of the child moves mountains, right? It's so simple. It's so simple. What's that song? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's it. That there's gospel. Amen. I don't even need to do another show. There it is. Trust and obey. Who are you trusting? God. Who are you obeying? God. It demonstrates love. When we trust and we obey, we're demonstrating love, obedience, I'm telling you, is the greatest prover of love. It's the greatest proof of love is obedience. Maybe God is telling you some stuff and you're resisting it because you don't like what he's telling you. Sometimes God tells me stuff about me. Most of the time, God tells me stuff about me that I don't like. I don't like. You ever know somebody that's prayed for God's will, prayed for God's will, prayed for God's will in their life, and all of a sudden God shows them the thing that his his will and it's not sexy or cool or you know, hip or trendy or fun. It's like nasty going and doing nasty grunt work. You know, God told me to become a, a you know, a, I'm shoveling stuff. I, don't, I must have heard that wrong because where's my pot of gold and I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Where's my hilltop? I'll climb over that hill to get to the mansion. I'm tired of shoveling and stuff. Right? We really want that cool thing. We want God to answer with that thing that we really love. But sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's not that. And then what do we do? We begin to argue with God. People say a lot, well, you change when you see the light. That's not true. I know for a fact it's not true. The light is a torch, and most of the time we don't change when we see the light of the torch. We change when we start to feel the burning on our skin from the flame. Sometimes God has to shake and shake and shake and shake and shake on us because we're like children. We're just like children. You know, I, I this has always struck me because I know, I wonder what kind of mirrors they had back then. Because it says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, argued like a child. Now that I've become a man, I have finished with childish ways. Remember, I was talking about past tense, past tense, past tense. Well, he says he is finished with childish ways. He's past tense. He's done with it. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to talk like a man. I'm going to be like a man. Walk like a man. Come on. Come on. Don't, don't, don't hold back. You know, you all could sing that one if you wanted, as long as you do harmony. Somebody's got to do the high part, though. Anyway, I have real problems. Pray for me. <laughs> so, you know, all that stuff is past tense. We're going we're gonna to be like a man. Okay, we're committed. We're finished with childish ways. 
But then it says, for now we see obscurely in a mirror. Did they have mirrors back then? What did they use for mirrors? Burnished metal like copper. I mean, how cool was that? How smart were they? Amazing people. Just amazing. Not a clear image, but I bet they probably get it pretty clear because they had to have. Because they just blow my mind with what they could do. So now we see obscurely in a mirror. Now, I want to say this is not actually, I'm looking in a mirror and I can't really see it because I haven't buffed it enough. Uh, but then it will be face to face. We look back. I do a, I do a sermon, um, uh, Hunting Dead Lions. It's one of my favorite to do, actually. I don't think I've ever done it here. I should do it here. Um, it's a long one, though, so we'd have to do a two-hour radio broadcast that night because it is long, and you'd better sit in a comfortable seat because it's long, but it's, it's hard to do it. And in Hunting Dead Lions, there's a passage in the Bible that talks about uh, hunting dead lions, and that caught me one time. I was reading the Bible that one time when I was reading the Bible. Uh, it caught me. I had to read that verse, and I was like, "Hunting dead lions," you know. And it just struck me. And and but it's an analogy. Dead lions. You ever know somebody that played football in high school, but now they're like forty-five years old, and they're just huge, and and they're really terribly out of shape. But they they played football, and that's all they talk about whenever they bump into somebody from their hometown. They're like, oh, yeah, you were Jimbo, number 42. You were, like, amazing. You were, like, the best quarterback, running back, kicker. You did everything. You know, you kicked off, you caught, you you did everything. You were just amazing, you know. And then they regale and all that. They never le- They clearly never left that. They never did another good thing in their life. They never tried after that. It just That was their dead lion. The lion, it's easy to hunt a dead lion. It's just going to lay there. And then there's the flip side of that, the dead lion, that was the bad thing that you did. Some of you can identify with that here and at home, that bad thing, or that bad thing that happened to you. Got real quiet. Some folks, you know right off the top of your head, that bad thing that somebody did to you, and you just can't stop circling that dead lion. And so you never move past that. You never get past that hard, tough, awful thing. You never get past it and it it hurts you. And you say, man, I can't. I just I can't get past this. I can't move on in my life because look what I did wrong here. Look how badly I messed up. I'm here to tell you that's looking in a mirror and, and seeing your image. Because God doesn't look at you that way. He says if you bring, how many of you know, those of you who have heard me speak before, you know that I, uh, I say this all the time. This won't be anything new to the audience here. The prayers, when we're standing before God and we're answering for our sins, what sins are we answering for? The ones we have not asked for forgiveness. The ones we have not repented of. That's it. Because God says, I'll remember them no more. It doesn't mean he'll... God doesn't have like selective amnesia. In Hebrew, remember them no more means I will not call into account that ever again against you. A few minutes ago, I was talking about fights. You know, you have fights as a married couple. And let's say you're married 17 years and in year one, you had a fight over something because the, the guy... Let's face it, the guy did something wrong. 
It was never the woman. The guy did something wrong. And and but then 17 years later, that's been long since passed. The dude doesn't remember. And the wife's like, "You remember that? I remember when you did that." Right? We go way back in the past and we dig that up. It's the worst possible thing you ever do. Let's say you had a good argument, you fought over something, and it's all okay, and you worked it out, and you haven't done that again, piece of advice, I do have a counseling degree, piece of advice, don't bring it up again. Guess what? God doesn't bring those things up again that we have said, I'm pleading for forgiveness for this. I need your help, God, on this, to overcome this struggle, this hurt habit or hang-up. I, I keep going back to the cross. You know, all of us carry crap around church word, uh, in, in the backpack. We carry uh, this big backpack full of crap is from our life, the stuff we struggle with. We say, well, I'm, you know, we, we, get, we hear a good message on some other station at a different time, and we, and we hear that, and so we say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry my burdens, because in churches we call them burdens, carry my burdens to the cross, and I'm going to lay them down at the foot of the Savior. First of all, cross is empty. Whoever told you to go that direction is wrong. The cross is empty. Either way, the cross is empty. So then you you but but sort of in a in a, a mind picture here, you lay your problems, your hurts, your habits, your hang ups, your sins, your wrongdoings at the foot of the cross. That's great. Do that. Leave them there and turn around. But what do you have to do? You have to walk away. You have to walk away from that. And I'll tell you what, I'll put worries in the same category. I'll put worries in the same category. But the wrong stuff you did, listen, you will never experience God's forgiveness until you accept God's forgiveness. And the only way you accept God's forgiveness is if you take your big bag of crap, you lay it at the foot of the cross or at the empty grave, and you say, God, giving this to you, I'm done carrying this around. I'm walking away from it. But you've got to walk all the way away and never go back. Who does that? Children. Children do that. But so do adults with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. We go back to that thing that we did that jacked us up, and then we get some healing in our heart. Maybe somebody did something bad to you. Maybe your mom, your dad. Maybe you didn't have parents. Maybe, uh, you know, somebody along the line just led you wrong, did you wrong, and you were hurt by it. At some point, you've got to lay that down, and you've got to walk away. You've got to walk away. And that's part of, now that I've become a man, now that I've, I was like a child, but now I'm not a child anymore. When I wrote my book, I started off t- telling you about uh, Joe Messina of The Real Side asked me about why did I write my book. And I said, you know, the church is in trouble. The church is in such terrible trouble. Did you know, most of you probably do know this, 43% is the average rate of decline among the mainline denominations of actual membership. Not people they have in the roles because they have dead people. They have like three generations ago dead people. They're still coming. Praise the Lord. They're still coming to church because we like to show big numbers, right? I remember one time. I was going to preach at our church, and I asked him, how many do you normally have at your church? Was, oh, we have at least three to 500 people. There's people there. I'm like, actual, I should have clarified, 
live people that I can see, not the invisible people. I don't like those. Those scare me. That's invisible people. So I finished with childish ways, for now we see obscurely in a mirror, but then it will be face-to-face. Now, when is then? When is then? Yeah. When we see face-to-face, when is the then that the Apostle Paul is talking about? When we're in heaven and we're we're standing there before perfection, all of the jacked-up stuff that we thought about and struggled with and all that stuff, it's past, it's over, it's done. But you know what? We ruminate on things so much. We hunt deadlines so much. That joy and the knowledge of that gets lost on us. It gets lost on us because we're so busy circling that thing that jacked us up so many years ago. I have a good brother of mine in the audience, and he's been sober for a lot of years. But for a lot of years, he was circling that deadline, circling that deadline over and over. And you know, with anything that's dead that's laying out, it starts to stink. Until finally he said, I'm going to pick up this deadline. I'm going to carry it to that cross. I'm going to lay it down, and I'm going to turn and I'm going to walk away. And he's had victory ever since. You can have that too in your stuff. People say to me, they ask me a lot about healing. Do you believe that God still heals? Do you, do you believe that God still heals? And I think that question should be rephrased because I don't think he ever stopped. I don't think God ever stopped healing people. I think there's so many people that get healing. But I'm just going to tell you this. I don't think that it's because so many people prayed for them so fervently. I don't think it's because necessarily they were better than anybody else. I don't think it's just like, for instance, this has always struck me funny. Two Christian teams. I watched a basketball game this week between two Christian schools, and they're praying before the game, Lord, help us to be strong, help us to prevail, you know, blah, blah. And, they're both, and the prayers are hitting in the middle going, you know. The one who wins is going to be the one who prepares, the one who executes the game plan, you know, all that stuff. That's who's going to win. That always cracks me up. Lord, keep us safe. Don't let any players get hurt. I always think that's funny. Uh, when I used to jump out of airplanes, uh, I remember guys, used to, I had this one Catholic buddy, and he would genuflect before he goes out of the plane. And I'm like, I don't get that. I'm a Christian, and I still don't get that. I just don't get that. It's a struggle of mine. Because, you know, we'll get into a big theological discussion on that sometime. But as it relates to your stuff that you carry around with you, part of this lesson is could have been summed up. Y'all grow up. Paul, if Paul was from the South, he would have said, y'all grow up now. Stop with your petty back-talking and your petty acting like children. Y'all need to get some sense. Go sit in a corner and pray and read your Bible. They didn't have the Bible back then. He had Torah. But still, you know, he would have probably told them, y'all better straighten up. That's what my mom used to say, straighten up. And I would always do this because I thought there was some magical miracle in straight posture, which if she saw me slumping now, she'd be really mad. But she doesn't have the Internet, so I'm, I'm lucky that way. Now I know partly, then I will know fully, just as God has fully known me. Listen, folks, God has fully known you since before 
you were born. And when you stand in front of him, when he calls us to our reward, that's my favorite way of saying we die. Uh, you know, he went home to be with the Lord. Uh, my favorite is he got his reward. I see it in the paper sometimes. He received his reward. They don't say he died. They say he received his reward. You know, you ever you ever read that? I love that. Man, I want somebody to say that about me when I'm dead. He received his reward because that's our faith. That's the reward of our faith. When we shut our eyes the last, the next time we open our eyes, will be upon the very face of Yeshua Hamashiach, the one in whom we testify to and believe. Hallelujah and amen. The one entity in the world that can heal your hurts, your habits, and your hangouts, then we will know him fully. He's known us fully our whole lives. But for now, three things last. Trust, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Now, I want to ask you to consider, and I think it's important to consider, there's a lot of unlovable people around you. The Apostle Paul says, God says, trust, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Practice with those around you. I don't think you need to get on a plane and fly to Jabip or East Jabip. If you're not familiar, I don't think there's a West Jabip. I've never heard anybody say West Jabip. <laughs> you don't necessarily have to get on a plane and fly far, far away to learn to love. That neighbor you really can't stand, that coworker that just gets all over your last nerve, maybe you should think about trying to love them. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics, hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, former law enforcement officer, and founder of the internationally regarded Executive Protection Team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. Dr. Sean Michael Greener. 